I love how into this emoji game we are. You guys were so disappointed when it came off the screen. Mario, will you put it back up for us for a second? I'm going to give you one more minute to try and figure out what it is. I know, we're chatting, we're chatting. Let's see if anybody can get it. This one's hard. This one is hard this morning. Anybody know it? Oh, I heard it. Christmas vacation, winner, winner. Oh, leaning out over there too, yes. Christmas vacation, Mario, you can hit perfect, that gray slide. You win extra points in heaven for that, congratulations. <laughs> Welcome to Grace. You guys are rowdy this morning, I like it. We're gonna have some fun. My name is Chelsea, I am your worship director, and I am so excited to get to teach to you guys today. My team is doing awesome. I feel so blessed to get to just step away and enjoy them. And if you didn't know, one of our worship leaders, Kristen, she's literally wearing her baby and she's still up here leading worship. So if you still have excuses why you can't serve, like she is it, you have no more excuses, okay? Join a team and serve. I just love it. It's an awesome morning. Well, if you need a Bible, our ushers are gonna come on forward. Miss Patty and Adam here, Raise your hand if you want to hold a Bible in your hands. I love it. If not, if you've got your phone, um, that'll be perfect. This morning, we are continuing our series, Christmas at Grace. And we are talking all about the things in this season that are stealing our joy. Last week, we talked about judgment and how we're actually stealing other people's joy by judging them. This week, we are going to talk about Instagram. No, I'm kidding. We're not talking about Instagram, <laughs> although it's a joy stealer. Come on. But Instagram actually plays a huge role into what we will talk about today, but I'm not going to give it up that easy. Now, we are in a season. It's the most wonderful time of the year, and I'm going to show you some images just to show you just how wonderful it really is because it is a season where everything goes perfect, and we know everything is always going to go perfect not, right? We think we're going to turn out with these cute photos, and in reality, our life is messy. Maybe you're thinking you're going to get that picture-perfect Christmas tree or those picture-perfect decorations, or if you've got a family, maybe you think this year you're going to like one-up everybody, and you're going to get the matching footsie pajamas, and you're going to get that perfect photo in front of your tree, but oftentimes it looks a lot more like this, right? Especially if you've got kids. They get a little more vocal with their nose every year. They don't want to do this game anymore, mom and dad, Okay. But we know that this season puts a lot of pressure on us to make things perfect when our reality is messy, life is messy. And secretly, we're scrolling through Instagram or looking at our neighbors wondering if we can live up to the expectation, right? Maybe you're on one of those like Christmas lanes where everybody goes all out, right? Scott talked about that last week. And you don't want to be the fuddy-duddy on the corner whose house is just black. There are no lights, but you're secretly wondering if you've got the energy this year to make things look as perfect or to make your Christmas turn out as perfect as it was last year. And something in that, beyond expectations, is stealing our joy. And today, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, it is in the New Testament. And, but first, you know what, I'm going to pray. We're going to bring a little bit of Jesus into this room right now. You guys pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, God. I thank you for this place where we can come and just, like Hallie said, be the body of Christ, Lord. Would you just fill us in this room today? Would you just speak, Lord, loud and clear to your people? Would you bring your presence into the room and allow it to be felt and allow it to settle in on us, Lord? And would we just be filled with more of you today? That's my one and only prayer, that you would be, you, we would be filled with more of you today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're just going to go ahead and read verse 1 right now. I'm going to take it real slow for us. So verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now I'm going to take this step by step really quick for us. That first line, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. This is some pretty, it's pretty language, but what this is saying is cloud oftentimes in the Greek is used just to um, illustrate that it's a great many people. There's a lot of people. So what I want you to think of is anybody in here watch the Olympics? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, a couple of people. Have you ever watched track and field? They're like in this giant stadium, right? Because this verse is talking about a race. So we're in a race. If you didn't know that, you are, you are running a race. But I want you to imagine that there's a giant stadium of people, and they're these witnesses. They are these people who have run their own race, and now they just get to sit back and watch. And the first thing we think of is like, oh, they are going to judge us. If I'm not running well, maybe they're looking down at me going like, run faster, whatever it is. But that's not what these people are doing. That's not what the Bible is depicting right here. Really, it's this group of people who are cheering you on. They are cheering you on in their race. And I just love this image that the people in heaven are cheering us on in our race. The second part of this verse says, lay aside every weight and sin. And if you've ever been to church or you've been around church a lot, you know sin is the thing we're constantly trying to get rid of, right? We know that sin holds us back from God. But there are other things. There are other things that are not necessarily sinful that are holding us back from God, that are causing us to not run our race well. They are weighing us down. And that last part, running the race set out for us. This is a hard one because oftentimes we end up trying to run somebody else's race. And here's what I mean. Maybe you've got a friend who you feel like is doing life a little bit better than you are. Maybe they've got things, they have more in their life and you wish your life was going like theirs. And so what are you going to do? You're going to try and make sure that your life lives up to theirs, right? Or maybe there's somebody on Instagram you've been following and they have everything that you want in life and you're striving to be like them. But this verse says there is a race marked out for you. And we're gonna talk about that today. There's a race marked out for you and you alone. And it's not Karen or Susan's or Julie's or whoever's. It is your race and yours alone. Have you ever seen siblings open Christmas presents, or if, you, or if you are a sibling on Christmas, what's the first thing we do? We open a present and what? We peek at our sibling. We're like, what do they get? Do they get something better or is my gift like still good, right? We're qualifying our gifts based off what our sibling is getting. And I did this all the time. I was always in competition with my, with my brother, always. And he was never in competition with me. He was like, woohoo, I got what I got. And I am blessed to have a brother who is a nerd, so I never wanted his gifts. He always got like a rock tumbler or whatever. I'm like, I don't even know what that does. I'm like, I got my Barbie over here. 
Fun fact, I had a Barbie head and it freaked my dog out. She would bark at it every single time she walked in the room. <laughs> but I wanted to do hair, apparently. No, but I always did this. And if you have kids, you'll probably watch your kids do this on Christmas, right? We're comparing our gifts. Well, that's what we're talking about today. The thing that we need to throw off is comparison because you may not know all of the things that it's actually doing beneath the surface, but it is weighing you down in this race that you're running. And comparison does three things. And by itself, comparison isn't sinful, right? But comparison can lead us down these paths that become sinful. It's because it does three things. It either says this, oh, they don't have what I have, I'm better. What's that? That's pride, right? That's sinful. Or it does, oh man, that person got the car that I wanted, they got the house that I wanted, they have the life that I wanted. Mine's not good enough. I'm not good enough, right? And what starts to happen, that starts, jealousy starts to seep in. We start to want the things that we don't have, and that's what we're focused on. The third thing that can happen is that if you're like me and you're a control freak, you have the perfect idea of the way you want life to go in your head. And more often than not, it doesn't happen that way at all. Like we said, life is messy. But comparison can cause us to become discontent with what we have. All of a sudden, we're not worried or we're not focused on the gifts God has given us. We're worried about getting more. We're worried about feeling like we don't have enough and we become discontent. And we've all been there. The more people look like they're winning at life on Instagram, the worse we feel. Right? Or maybe last year's holidays were so perfect, you totally got your kids in those footsie pajamas and everything worked out great. But this year, they're not being so cooperative. Right? And this year, things are a little harder. Or maybe like my family and like so many families I know in our church, you're dealing with loss. And your Christmas, no matter what you do, is just not going to look the same. And some of us, I know, me included, even for Thanksgiving, I'm working so hard to make it feel like I'm not missing anything or missing anyone. And there's so much pressure in that, you guys, that is not meant for us. God is enough. Reality looks messy, and we're tired, and we're stressed, and all of a sudden, the season is not about joy. It's about perfection right? And that is not what God has for us. I remember this time I was in high school, so it was yesterday. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I got to tell that one. I got it. <laughs> but I was in high school, and I have been leading worship my whole life. I grew up in a family of musicians, and so I've always been known as the girl that could sing. And secretly, I loved that, right? I wasn't so humble yet. I wasn't like a worship director yet. But I loved that. I loved being known for that. And I didn't know that there was another girl in our youth group that had a beautiful voice. Oh, my gosh. She had this amazing voice. And there was this thing in our town where there was um, an outdoor mall. And they would do a tree lighting service and ceremony. And it was for everybody. It wasn't just for church people. Like, it was for everybody in the community. And she got chosen to sing. And I was like, all right, I guess we'll go check it out. Like, we'll see if this girl's got anything. So we go, my brother and I, and she does amazing. I was floored by her voice. But what I'm doing in my head as she's singing is I'm comparing myself to her. I'm going, oh, she didn't quite hit that note. Like, I could have hit that. Like, I could have done that. You guys, this is what goes on in the mind of a singer. Seriously, it's sad. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, okay, she didn't, she didn't do that as perfect. Like, I bet I, I, bet I could have done better. And I'm comparing myself to her the whole time. And here's the worst part about this whole story, and I'm so embarrassed by this, but my brother and I walk up to her, 
after she's done this, and everybody's congratulating her, everybody's so excited for her, and I walk up, I'm not kidding you guys, I walk up and I go, wow, that was actually really good. And every girl in this room heard what I just said, and every guy was like, yeah, that was good. She patted her on the back. No, that's not what I was saying. If you are not fluent in girl yet, that was super rude. That was super rude. Essentially what I was doing was trying to make her less special so that I could feel more special. Wow, I'm really surprised that like you have a good voice. Congratulations. That's so sarcastic and awful. And I will never, I will never forget the look on my brother's face because my brother is the best person in the whole world and he, like I've always looked up to him and he knows me better than anybody. He can't speak girl either, so guys in the room, don't worry. He just can speak Chelsea. And he looked at me, and I will never forget the look on his face. He was just shocked. He was shocked at what had just come out of my mouth. And he was gracious enough to wait until we got back into the car where nobody else was around. And he just looked at me, he didn't start the car, and I'm like, oh, here it comes, I know it's coming. And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know who that person was just now. Oh, if you've ever had your favorite person in the world look at you and say that, it is just like soul crushing. So I'm like, he's right. He goes, you were not raised to be that way. When did you become so jealous? Who, who was that out there? That was like the meanest thing I think I've ever heard you say. And I just immediately, immediately felt so much shame and so much guilt for having done that, because it, it didn't need to be said. But what I didn't know at the time, what we're gonna talk about today with comparison, is that comparison leads us to unhealthy competition. See, this poor girl did not know that we were in a competition, that we were racing against each other, right? Because I made that happen. That was all me. Comparison leads to unhealthy competition. Now, not all competition is bad, but here's the question to ask yourself. If you're the kind of person like me, like sometimes you need a little bit of competition to motivate you, right? Are you trying to be a better person? Is it making you a better person and more like God? Or are you just trying to be better than the person next to you? That's a tough one. That's a tough one, because those are two very different things. And what I want to talk about a little bit today is that the disciples, if you don't know who the disciples were, they were these guys that got to go around with Jesus. Like they got to be in his presence all the time. They got to see tons of miracles from him. And they struggled with this. The disciples in the presence of Jesus struggled with comparison. This is not a new concept. This is something that we all struggle with. And I can only imagine with them being on the road for years together, they start to act a little like family. And we all know family gets messy, right? And if there's any competition anywhere, it's between siblings. So they're acting like siblings. And in Luke chapter 9, I want to show you what's happening because this is one of the first times that I've seen personally that the disciples are comparing themselves. They are competing against each other. And what's just happened is Jesus has just expelled a demon. I could not remember that word, the first service, and JT was so kind as to give me that word. I'm like, Jesus like, caused a demon to come out of somebody? What is that word? But he expelled a demon, and it, the Bible literally says the disciples were in awe of Jesus in this moment. They were just completely in awe of him, as I imagine they would be every day. And then Jesus goes on for the second time to tell the disciples that the end is coming. He is telling them that he is about to be persecuted and that he is going to die for their sins, and they don't even get it. And not three verses later, in verse 46, it says this. An argument started amongst the disciples as to which 
of them would be the greatest. Can you guys imagine arguing about who's the greatest, like literally in front of Jesus, like the only perfect person to ever live, and you're like, yeah, 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 but Peter, remember how you fell when you tried to walk on water? Like you didn't have enough faith. And Peter's like, yeah, bro, but like I got out of the boat. Like you were sitting back there terrified. Like what are they doing in this moment where they're trying to figure out who is the greatest? This is crazy. They were all would go on to run their unique perfect races, right? Not perfect, they were human, but they would run these amazing races for God, right? And we talk about that a lot in church. We admire the disciples for how faithful they were, and yet they were human. In the presence of Jesus, they were comparing themselves and trying to figure out which of them, apart from Jesus, would be the greatest. And then in John chapter 21, Peter and John have this little rivalry going. And if you don't know this, because I didn't know it, in John chapter 20, Peter and John get into a foot race on the way to the tomb. Now, Jesus has risen. There are amazing, miraculous things happening. And John is literally telling you, yeah, but I beat Peter in a foot race. And he does it three times, literally. If you don't know that, please go look at it, because I died laughing. But in chapter 21, we see, again, Peter and John are kind of pitted against each other here. And what's happening is Jesus has just given Peter his purpose. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I wish that God would come down and be like, Chelsea, this is your purpose. This is everything along the way. This is what you're going to do. Right? Peter literally has this happen. Jesus goes before him and he says, Peter, you are going to be the shepherd of my people. You're going to be so good to them and you are going to shepherd them. And Peter's response, his immediate response is this. In verse 21, it says, when Peter saw him, and by him, we mean John, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he will remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So Peter's response here, he's gotten his purpose, and he goes, yeah, 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 but what about John? What's John's purpose? What do you have for John? Right? His focus is completely in the wrong place. He is completely lost focus here in the midst of their competing and their comparison they've lost focus in that chapter in Luke the disciples don't even understand what Jesus is telling them he has literally given them the end he's literally given them the epitome of what we today as Christians put our hope in and they're they're arguing and before we judge any of the disciples in these moments we do this too We do this all of the time. We focus on things that we're not supposed to. Parents, when was the last time you saw somebody else's better behaved kids and you went, oh, are they better parents than me? That is not what God has for you. Or married people in the room, when was the last time you looked at somebody else's marriage, whether it's on Instagram or in person, and you were like, oh man, they seem like they're doing way better than we are. Is there something something wrong with us, right? These things, they start to make us question things that God didn't ask us to question. And here's the thing that I love about Jesus in these moments where there is a lack of focus, as he, in the most loving way possible, always points us back to him. And he always points the disciples back to him. In that chapter in Luke, the next verses say, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you all who is 
the greatest. Now that is humility at its finest. Jesus is saying, Jesus is taking a child and putting it before him, and a child would have been overlooked, right? A child in the presence of Jesus and even the disciples would have been completely overlooked, and Jesus said, look at him. Focus on him, because my heart is for this child. Welcome this child, and you will welcome me. Focus on me, right? And then Jesus literally says that to Peter, He says, what is it to you what I have for John? Focus on me. You follow me. You don't follow John. You don't follow Desiree. You don't follow Jesse. You don't follow whichever pastor you like the best. You follow me. You follow Jesus. Craig Rochelle says, a quick way to ruin something special is to compare it to something else. A quick way to ruin something special is to compare it to something else. In these verses, the disciples are so worried about their rank and their position in this race that they're running that they've completely lost focus on Jesus. And they've completely lost focus on what is special about each of them. Do you know that the Bible gives you your purpose? I said it earlier, I wish Jesus would come and give me my purpose. He did. It's in the Bible. Our purpose is very clear as Christ followers, that we are to go and make disciples and that we are to love one another. That's our finish line. That's our end goal, right? But how we do that and where we do that, you are actually uniquely created to do. Do you know that? You are uniquely created in a way that only you can love and only you can make disciples wherever God has placed you. Right? The purpose, the end goal is the same, but how you do that is how you were uniquely created. You see, God's not in the business of creating 2.0 versions. He looked at you and he called you good because you were made in his image. He's not trying to come out with the next best Chelsea. He's not trying to come out with a 2.0 Chelsea who sings better and preaches better and loves people better. No, he made me with all of those capabilities. But somewhere along the line, we've lost our focus because we look at somebody else and it looks like they've got something better than we have. But God is not in the business of making 2.0 versions. If I had just stopped for a minute and instead of comparing myself to that poor girl who had no idea we were competing and I was clearly winning, right? She had no idea. That's awful, I'm so sorry I just said that. She was winning. She was humble. She didn't know you were competing, okay? But if I had stopped for a minute and I had just encouraged her, what could that have done? Maybe she was struggling, you guys, and I didn't even know it. Maybe she was struggling to feel like God had given her a gift, and I went and I squashed it. What would it have done if I had just encouraged her, if I had said, wow, God has really gifted you with something special. You need to use that more. You need to use that. He has given that to you for a purpose. What would that have done for her? And what would that have done in me? My gifting wasn't any less special. I was not any less special to God because she could do something I could. Because it was never about the gifting. It's about the how and the where. How I was uniquely created to use my gifting, to love people, to create disciples, and where. She and I were given two different communities to be a part of. Two different communities to impact Christ for. You were given a community to impact Christ. Whether you know it or not, maybe it's your family. Maybe you need to be the light and the love of Jesus in your family. Maybe it's at work, 
right? That can be a scary thing. It's not super scary for me to be Jesus loving at work, right? I work here. That's expected, right? But it's a little scarier at like Starbucks when someone's being super rude to me and I'm, all I want to do, you guys, it's not very holy, but all I want to do is tell them to sit down and shut up. That's all I want to do, but I'm not going to do that. Maybe you have a sphere at work and I get that it's hard. And so I'm standing here on a stage knowing that this is what I do for a living, knowing that that's hard. But God has created you to do that in a very unique way. Maybe it's with your friends. Where has God asked you to make disciples? Where has he asked you to fulfill that purpose? God wants to use you right where you're at. He is not waiting for you to get your life together. He is not waiting for your life to look like somebody else's life. He wants to use you right now with what you have. He has given you enough. Even when we don't feel it, he has given you enough. Why don't we see that? Why don't we feel like God is enough in those moments? You see, what my brother was doing so very lovingly was he was pointing out an area in my life that I needed to grow. He was pointing out an immaturity, and it was painful to see. But what I didn't know at the time was that what had happened, the reason I had compared myself to this poor, poor girl was that my identity was wrapped up in my giftings instead of the giver. My identity was wrapped up in who I was as somebody who could sing well, which seems so silly to me, right? Instead of God. I was made in the image of Christ, so were you, and yet I was so worried about the things in my life that I felt made me special that I couldn't even stop to encourage and celebrate this gifting in someone else. You see, what comparison does, as painful as it can be, if we are willing to flip the script, comparison reveals our immaturity. And it reveals the areas of our insecurity. And if we are willing to see that and accept that and not shame ourselves for it, then we can change it. We can allow God to change those areas in us. And what I love about the Bible is it's not like Instagram. It's not the highlight reel. Clearly, the disciples were still human. They were still flawed even in the presence of Jesus. They were immature in those moments. They had more to grow. They had more room to grow, and that never stops in life, you guys. We never make it to any point where we don't have any more to grow. Jesus always lovingly points the disciples and us back to his heart, and that's what we see in the rest of that verse in Hebrews. So I'm going to go ahead and read the second two, or the two verses that come after saying, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is pointing us back to God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. We were called to be made in his image, not in the image of that influencer on Instagram, not in the image of the parent we think is doing better, not in the image of our parents, right? In the image of God. We compare ourselves to each other, and when we do this, we lose the ability to run our races together, right? Instead, we're constantly running against each other, and where does that leave us? It leaves us pretty isolated, right? You can't be in a community where you're constantly competing against each other. 
That's not how God made us. God made us to run our races together and to celebrate each other. And what I love about this verse, because we've been talking about joy this season, right? So I'm getting to it, I promise. But what I love about this verse, it says it, in the second verse it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, the cross was not a joyful thing. I think we forget this sometimes. The cross was brutal, and it was bloody, and it was awkward, and it was horrifying. And Jesus endured that as a human being. He could feel the same amount of pain that you and I can feel. And he got up there anyways, and he didn't get up there because that was supposed to be joyful. He got up there because at the end of his race, he saw that joy was coming. He saw that at the end of the race that he was running, that only he could run, that there was joy. And that joy, by the way, was for us. He did that for us, and that gave him joy, for the joy set before him. Now, joy comes for us, of course, when we root our identity and our purpose in Christ. But the other thing, the way that we don't allow comparison to steal our joy anymore is when we exchange comparison for celebration. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to exchange our comparison for celebration. And you guys, this will literally change your life. And it seems so simple to celebrate other people. How could that change my life? It will change your life because it will change your perspective, right? The less we become critical of others and ourselves, and the more we celebrate the more grateful we are as people, the more thankful we are as people. And here's the thing. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation where you have just complimented somebody or you have just affirmed somebody and they just light up, right? They just light up. And I don't don't care who you are. There is, it is impossible not to feel joy yourself in that moment, knowing that you've just made somebody else's day simply because you celebrated them instead of trying to compare them to you or compare you to them right? We're focusing back on the heart of Jesus. And this is the pinnacle of Christianity. This is who we are as Christians. What we are supposed to do is recognize God in other people's stories and celebrate it. Is recognize God in each other and God moving in each other and celebrate it. What if I had done that? What if I had done that with that girl and said, wow, God has gifted you with something. Where are you going to use that? Where you, God wants you to, where are you going to use that gifting. What would have happened? You never know who's struggling. And the truth is, somebody could be struggling with comparison to you. And yet you're struggling with comparison to somebody else. It's this nasty cycle, right? But in community, we're supposed to share with each other. We're supposed to share the good and the bad. Instagram doesn't quite capture that all of the time, unless you're messy on it like me. And I'm like, look at this weird thing that I did today. I don't understand Instagram. I just don't. But If we are in community together and we are sharing the good and the struggles, there's way less room for comparison. And there's way more room to celebrate each other and how far we've come in our race. That verse, looking to Jesus as our example, verse 3, consider him and that he knew joy was on the other side. If we are so focused on our position in life, right, making sure there's somebody behind us so they're not getting to the end first, We've lost sight of our end goal. We've lost sight of Jesus. We have taken our eyes off of the real prize. Can you imagine for a second if Jesus did this? Can you imagine if Jesus had seen his race, he knew it was coming, but he also saw Peter's and knew Peter's, and he was like, "Ah, I think I'd rather be the shepherd. 
I think I'd rather go shepherd people instead of having to go to the cross. That seems way better. So instead, God, I'm actually going to go this way, and I'm going I'm to run Peter's race instead because it looks a lot easier. And now Peter's race was not easy, okay? Peter's race did not end super great. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus stayed focused on God. He stayed focused on his end goal, and he went, I'm going to run this race, and I'm going to run it well because I know what's on the other side, and that's joy. I I trust in you, God, that you have a plan and that that plan will bring joy and it will glorify you. You see, no matter what age we are, this happens. Comparison happens. Maybe you're further along in life and somebody who's younger has more. Maybe they're making more money. Maybe they're making family happen. Whatever it is, we're comparing ourselves. But there's something at the root of this because comparison is just the symptom. Comparison is the symptom for whatever root thing is going on. For me that day, it was identity. For me, my identity was in the wrong place. For you, it could be a fear that God is going to provide. If it's, if it's a money issue that we're comparing, there's a fear that maybe God hasn't given us enough. Or if it's a body image issue, there's a fear that we weren't actually created in the image of God. That we can't love ourselves, so how could God love us because I don't look like that Instagram model, right? This is what comparison does. It tears us further and further from the heart of God, and it, it makes us believe that Jesus isn't enough. It makes us believe that God isn't enough and that he hasn't given us enough, and the message of Christianity and the message of Jesus is that he absolutely is enough, that you can go to him with anything and everything and you will find fulfillment, you will find joy, you will find hope, and you will find goodness in any season, you guys, in any season. It doesn't just stop when things stop being good in your life. You can run to Jesus in every season and receive these things. You see, Christmas tends to amplify the wrong things when it comes to joy. Christmas amplifies things and there's a country song that I think is hilarious because I hadn't heard it before. But there's a line in it that says, people always say money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat, and it can buy me a truck, and it can buy me all of these things. And I'm like, I mean, he's not wrong, right? Money can buy you those things. But that happiness, number one, is a feeling, and it's fleeting. So money during this season, can absolutely buy you things. It can buy you gifts. It can buy your kids gifts. But that happiness only goes as far as that gift is useful to us. Joy is different. Joy comes in knowing who Jesus is. Joy comes in knowing that there was joy on the other side of the cross and it was meant for us because Jesus died for us so we don't have to be compared to our sins anymore. That's joy. And that is something nobody can ever, ever take away from you. Our joy is anchored in Jesus, and it's not a feeling. It is a promise. It is a promise, and it comes out in how we live. The world before us had to wait for Jesus. That's what Advent is. We're in the season of Advent, which is the coming of Jesus. But the world before Jesus had to wait for that hope and wait for that joy. And the beauty of today is we don't have to wait anymore, you guys. Jesus came. 
He fulfilled the promise, and he did it from birth to death. He ran the perfect race that only he could run, never looking to the left and right and comparing, and only bringing people along with him and celebrating people as they went and ran their races. He ran the perfect race that only he could run. For those of you who know him, for those of you who are Christians and have been Christians, God is waiting for you to shift your focus back to him in this season. I know it's hard. There's so much chaos. There's so much happening. There's so much pressure. But he's waiting for you to shift your focus back to him so that he can show you that he is enough, that he has given you enough that you are to fulfill your purpose in him and that he will give you rest in that, in this season. And for those of you who don't know him this morning, Jesus is waiting for you. He is waiting with open arms for you to come and find the joy that you've been looking for in the world, and you won't find it. You won't find joy. You'll only find that happiness that's fleeting, and you need more, and you need more, and you need more. Jesus has fulfilled all of it, and he is waiting for you to come and find him. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I'm going to pray in a minute. And if you want to accept him into your life, you can. You can just pray that prayer with me. But will you guys pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, oh, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are not a God in the business of 2.0 versions, Lord, that you have made us in your image. Father, that you have looked at us and said that we are good because you are good, Father. And so I pray over this church today that we would walk in that, God, not allowing comparison to steal our joy anymore, but instead exchanging it for celebration and encouraging each other in the races that you have set out for us. Lord, I pray that we would understand and know truly that we are made in your image and we can rejoice in that. For anybody in this room who would like to accept Jesus, you can pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I know who you are. Jesus, I know that you have saved me from my sins, that you did what only you could do, and you got up on that cross, and you died for me. I believe that, and I would like to ask you to enter into my life this morning. Would you change me from the inside out? Would you fill me with that joy that can only come from you? God, I pray over this community, Father, this just amazing place of amazing people. Would you help them run their race as well? Would you help us fix our eyes on you, Father, and not let them stray and not let them lose focus? Father, we are here for you. Would you just continue to fill us and grow us in your church today? We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.